And now, on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to We're Watching Here. We're Watching Here. This is Opinionated Movie Talk with Chris and Perry. My name is Chris Williams. With me, he is the yes to my chef, Perry Cyber. Corner. <laughs> Need hands here. Uh-huh. Uh, that is a uh, really, really obvious reference to the fact that today we are going to be talking not so much just about a movie, but about the new season of the TV show, The Bear, which is on Hulu. Perry and I recently finished the uh, second season of that. So I am excited to jump into that. We were going to talk Asteroid City. I could not get to that for reasons I can talk about later, Um, but I think it still might come up a little bit. But Perry, how are you doing? I am good. All is well. The summer movie season is here. Aren't we all just preparing for Barbieheimer weekend? That's all we're waiting for, right? It really is. I I saw as we're recording this, it's Thursday night, and in Detroit, they are doing the Barbie beach party, uh, which I am missing to be here, but I am wondering why Sleeping Bear Dunes did not cart people out there to do like an Oppenheimer sandblast where they just <laughs> blow things up in the desert. Um, <laughs> that, that would be very fitting. Uh, I, I'm excited. I, it, it's been kind of a lackluster summer. Um, I don't think there's been anything I flat out hated, but as we talked about last time, everything's just kind of fine. And uh, I'm hoping Oppenheimer and or Barbie are really worth the conversation. Uh, I also have high hopes for Mission Impossible, which I am seeing this weekend. I I I look forward to all three of them. So, because after that, it gets pretty slim pickings. I think after that, it's like Meg Two and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and <laughs> a whole bunch of stuff that is going to really make me start aching for fall. <laughs> It'll be here fast enough. Don't worry. I hope you have so. To get I... the doldrums of August, but then it's worth it. Yes. Well, and it's probably a really good thing to start announcing now that fall is coming. It's in the horizon and you and I will get to have an official input on the best movies of the fall because we can officially announce that you and I are both members of the newly formed Michigan Movie Critics Guild. So happy to be a part of that organization with you once again. Absolutely. It's good to be colleagues in yet another capacity. It'll be great. So yeah, so let's dive into it. We have some what we've been watching and then we'll talk the bear. Perry, what have you been watching? I did go see Asteroid City. And while I normally don't want to talk about a Wes Anderson movie, I do (laughs) want to talk about this one. Uh, If only because so my my big problem with Wes is I think Wes does one thing. I I think Wes has absolutely no interest in doing anything other than his one thing and so for me it all comes down to how well and true does he do that one thing he likes to do so well and uh on that count not counting the stop motion animation movies which i think are two of his three best movies this is this is the best wes anderson movie uh certainly since uh darjeeling limited and maybe since tannenbaum's i think this is really good um it's not going to win anybody over. I'm not saying this because I think it's appealing. It's too late for that. Right. This is this is him putting together his two or three themes that he can't get away from, uh, sticking with that visual scheme he has no interest in getting away from. He's arranged them all in a way that I felt was very true and very honest. And yes, appealing if you 
if you enjoy the Wes Anderson vibe. Not saying you have to enjoy it all the time. I'm capable of enjoying it. I just can't stand it when I don't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> French Dispatch, anybody? No! Uh, and that was what was really nice, was to see something that seemed uh, very real and very true from a director after seeing what I thought was one of their most tired and just exhaustingly self-involved works. <laughs> it was, it was nice to know that, Oh, I'm not going to have this reaction to every Wes Anderson film. He can still put it together in ways that I like. You know, it's funny. Um, Wes Anderson is a director who it took me a while to come around on. I remember seeing Rushmore and I would have been, I mean, what year was that? 99? Was that 99 or 98? Yeah, somewhere. That's right about right. Somewhere I wasn't there. yet 20. And I remember having a very visceral negative reaction to Rushmore. The style just, I didn't understand why. And I feel like he spent the last 25 years telling us why. Um, but I've come around to him. It's funny. There are certain films of his I really like, just like you. Um, certain films of his I don't like. I remember liking the French Dispatch. I don't remember a thing about the French Dispatch, which is weird because <laughs> that was a post-COVID release. So that is recent. Um, Grand Budapest Hotel was, that was my number one film the year it came out. I, I liked that one quite a bit. Um, but I don't, like, it's weird. Movies by him will come out and I don't get excited. I usually see them. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I liked that a lot. Um but I, it's weird. I don't find I don't consider myself like a Wes Anderson like fanboy. I do like you no. like his. Uh, I, I don't think I've seen Isle of Dogs, but oh, I do really like. It. I love Fantastic Mr. Fox. Love the Royal Tenenbaums, um, and, and I like Moonrise Kingdom and uh, Grand Budapest quite a bit. I I wish that he would just work in stop motion. I think that really is the medium he loves the most. It's and so much it, control, and he loves that. Right. And I, I don't say that dismissively. Like, I say that all the time because I mean it. Like, I, I, don't, I, I don't know what interest he has in working with human beings anymore. <laughs> and thankfully, this film didn't make me think that. Okay. <laughs> I, I was happy to have real people on screen. Um. I find Wes at his most infuriating because I don't, I think he wants to garner something from loss, some level of depth. And when he, when it is glancing, I think he's at his most problematic. Uh, this is why Grand Budapest is very good and has, contains a superb lead performance by Ray Fiennes, mm -hmm. but it's a film that cops out on the emotional center. It, it shortchanges the female character who is the emotional reason the film exists in the first place. He can't really deal with that. And so he doesn't, which is why I've always felt that film is both very good and a complete cop out. <laughs> and so uh, it's, it is probably my, f I would put it second, probably after, after okay. uh, in the post, I, I really like, Darjeeling Limited because I think it's a especially with Hotel Chevalier. If you've seen Hotel Chevalier in front of it, yeah. which should have been in the movie in the first place, uh, I think that's a. I think they're very. I think that's very comparable to Asteroid City in that okay. they are. I think very good balances of everything. I want Wes Anderson to do well. Um, not that they are going to win over anybody new, but it is my favorite version of what he does. It is quiet. 
Okay. <laughs> I like him quiet. I, I don't think he's ever going to make a film as good as Tannenbaum's again. I really don't. I don't Tannenbaum's think he has any really interest dead. in trying. It is the best movie he's ever going to make. I like you wasn't I, – I didn't have a – I did not dislike Rushmore when I saw it, but I was less enamored of it than a lot of other people were. Okay. I've uh, since come around on Rushmore. I, I like Rushmore. I don't love it, but I, I like it. Again, I think it is too much a celebration of Juvenilia instead of actually addressing the pain it wants to get to of how hard it is to grow up. <laughs> I think it's way happier to live in a state of suspended adolescence than deal with it, um, which is why I like I, I like the way it's handled throughout Tannenbaum's. I think it helped to have a dozen characters to spread that out across rather than just dealing okay. with one. And I think that might be true for Asteroid City. Well, I may be just realizing I like Wes in uh, in ensemble mode. Maybe, oh, that, maybe that's yeah. what I'm learning about myself here by having this conversation. Okay. I look forward to seeing this. It is on uh, VOD right now, and I'm really tempted to rent it. It's 20 bucks, so I don't know that I want to pull that trigger again. We'll get to that in a minute. But uh, I, I, I do want to see it. I, I like Wes Anderson when I like him. Um, yeah. Quite a bit. Um, but speaking of um, extended adolescence, I'm going to tell you why I wasn't at Asteroid City. I had Please. cleared out a Saturday to go see it. It was right after we kind of talked about, hey, we should do this maybe as the next episode. And then the very next night, I'm sitting down looking at my phone and I realize, oh, there is a pop culture convention a mile from my house. And the keynote speaker is Kevin Smith. The cast of Clerks is there. And if you've listened to this podcast at all, you know I have a weirdly masochistic relationship with Kevin Smith. (laughs) uh, And that I keep going back, and I don't know why. Um, But I plunked down the money, went to my first uh, Comic-Con thing, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I got to hear Kevin Smith talk. He's always good for that. Uh, I heard the cast of Clerks talk about it without Kevin Smith, which was kind of nice. Cause you didn't have him jumping in and, you know, stealing sure. the whole show. So, you know, you got to hear Jeff Anderson and um, Brian O'Halloran talk about filming those roles over the years. And that was a lot of fun. Heather Langenkamp was there uh, talking about Nightmare wow. on the Street. Uh, so that was, it was a lot of fun, but I got to tell you the best moment. I texted you this. I'm walking, walking down the convention floor and I walk past this open door to the parking lot and I'm suddenly hit by this cloud of pot, like just saturates everything. And I look to my right and standing right there is Jason Muse. And uh, on brand, even though apparently he hasn't smoked pot in about 15 years. um, So it might've just been the Teamsters, but uh, it was still (laughs) on brand. And shortly after I heard him shout out Snoochie Booches and um, yeah, day was made. That was worth the uh, 60 bucks or whatever I spent. (laughs) right there everything one could hope for yes yeah it was fun i highly recommend going to one of those if you've never been it's the enthusiasm is really nice i wrote about it on my newsletter so uh go check that out but i I really look forward to getting around to asteroid city um i've heard good things and i like that cast yeah i uh, um you will uh, the only thing i will i mean there there are things i will absolutely nitpick about but the only big thing is boy you know bill murray just must have been busy and it's supposed to be in the Tom Hanks part. Oh, <laughs> it's 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 really it's really weird. I actually read about that. Bill Murray was all ready to go and got COVID. Oh, um, yeah. And and apparently he's under heavy makeup in one scene. He shows up at some point. But uh, I've been curious how Tom Hanks would would do in a Wes Anderson. We'll talk. We'll talk after you see. 
Okay. All right. <laughs> it's he's fine. There's a moment that is so obviously Hanks, and it 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 it's glaring. Okay. It's, it doesn't fit. Okay. <laughs> but but it's I uh, obviously Wes let him have this moment. Okay. All right. I look forward to seeing that. Um. So I saw recently. Uh, Nicole Holof Center's new film, oh. You Hurt My Feelings. Um, I, I really like Nicole Holof Center. Uh, I think when we, I, we've talked, I think about Enough Said, which I don't think was on my top 10 of the decade list, but I've talked about how that was on my top 10 list the year it came out um, with Julia Louis-Dreyfus and James Gandolfini. And I really like that movie quite a bit. Uh, so I was excited to see this new one, which reunites her with Julia Louis-Dreyfus, um, she plays an author who had a memoir that was a fairly successful release a few years ago. She's finishing her new novel, her first stab at fiction, not hearing back from her publicist, her, but everyone's told her it's good. Her husband's told her it's good. And then she hears her husband telling his friend he doesn't like it. And that's the stakes. That is the movie, is her finding out her husband did not like the work that she did, even though he told her he did. And it's about the fallout from that. And it's not big world shaking fallouts. They're in a very happy marriage. Uh, her husband is played by Tobias Menzies. He's really good in it. He's a psychiatrist. Um, it re- That really is the movie, though, is how sh- they deal with the fallout of the fact that he lied to her. And it wasn't a malicious lie. It was a lie to spare her feelings. And from there, it's just this really funny, light, fascinating movie about the idea of what do we keep from the people we care about? And why do we keep it from those people? And is it okay to keep it? And there's not a clear answer, and it's fascinating. And I was mulling this over, thinking about, you know, my relationship with my wife and what are the things we tell each other? What are the things we say to protect each other? Um, But about that, too, it's also about... It's about the idea that we find a lot of identity in the things we do. And what if you reach the point, every character in the movie reaches a point where they realize, I might not be good at this thing. <laughs> and it's fascinating because somehow she, Nicole Holofson are located my two deepest insecurities and made a movie about it. <laughs> Um, you know, when, when I could, you know, the things I am most afraid of in my relationships and careers, she made a movie about that. Uh, it is a very, very nice movie. It is, it is minor. It's not big emotions. It's not big revelations. That's not, is their marriage going to stay together? It's just, how do they navigate that? And I love that. It's charming. The dialogue's very funny. Um, Julie Louis Dreyfus, I, I think, I mean, she redeems herself from you people. Um, so, so that's good. Michaela Watkins is in here. I like her a lot. Uh, David Cross and Amber Tamblin, who are together in real life, play the most toxic couple I have seen in a long time. And they are very funny. Um, this is like Asteroid City. It is a movie available on VOD for $20. I paid the full $20. I regret nothing. Um, I don't know if I like this as much as Enough Said, which to me, which might get a big bump for me because of being that last Gandolfini performance and him being really good in that. But uh, it, it's a charmer and it was a really, really great thing to turn to in the middle of the summer when I'm being bombarded by special effects. I, I really <laughs> like this. I went, I love Nicole Hoff Center. Nicole Hoff Center has never come close to making a bad movie. I think they're all great. 
And I went to see this and I was super excited and I'm sitting in my local multiplex, gladly plunked down my money to see it in the theater. And 20 minutes in, all of a sudden the movie shut off, all the lights went on and none of the seat straighteners would work anymore. The entire theater lost power. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And I waited around for like 30 minutes and the movie then restarted, but not where it had stopped. Oh no. (laughs) So I walked out and I got my pass to return to another screening at some point. And that was sadly like the next day was the last day it was going to be at my uh, local multiplex and I couldn't go. So uh, I have not seen it yet. I've seen the first 20 minutes. I was enjoying it tremendously. I, uh, you can't ask for a better first scene than David Cross and Amber Tamlin's first they're scene, so good. which is the first scene of the movie. Yes. Um, yeah, I am. I am super excited to see this. You, you praised, uh, enough said uh, rightfully so I will scream to the hilltops that please give is one of the best films of the 21st century that, <laughs> that no one has seen I think that might be her very best film oh I and have again, not seen that I don't think there's a bad Nicole Hollis center film you 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 throw a dart at a list of those films you will see something really worthwhile she's an incredibly talented writer uh, I'm a huge fan I, I, I hate that I have not seen this yet what did you use your that multiplex said, pass on I don't want to pay twenty dollars. Yeah, it'll see be it alone. That's what I don't want to do. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I was last weekend. My wife was out of town, so I was like, time to catch up on a movie. And um, I was like, ah, I don't. There's nothing I want to see. I can't leave the house because the kids are sleeping. And I saw it was on there. I'm like, oh, I really wanted to see this. Whatever. And uh, I didn't regret it. You know, there are movies I've regretted doing that for sure um i mean heck i paid three dollars to rewatch the coneheads this week three dollars is reasonable for, for anything for the coneheads for anything you want to see yes <laughs> i'm not defending the coneheads i'm defending spending three dollars yes for a movie that you're gonna watch alone and I, I i couldn't yeah if i were gonna watch it with with my wife i would gladly pay 20 bucks mm-hmm. that's not unreasonable to me but alone no not gonna throw out 20 bucks <laughs> Just, no. it's two month of criterion channel there so yeah it's precisely yeah. precisely <laughs> it'll uh, be available oh yeah go ahead go ahead you asked what i spent it on uh-huh. i literally uh it was a double feature uh i think like the next week in which i saw both asteroid city and uh uh no hard feelings and i can't okay. remember which one i used the card on might have been asteroid city <laughs> how is no hard feelings it's been a while since we've had a good comedy look it's a I'm a fan of R-rated comedies. Mm-hmm. I want R-rated comedies. This, it, this does this. It's 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 perfectly fine. I'm not, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to tell you it's changed the world. I'm going to talk about why I liked it. Gene Stepinski, who directed it, uh, came up through the Office, the yeah. the American Office. He's and what he's very good at in uh, many of his television scripts and his movies so far is bringing absolute innocence to an r-rated comedy like that's that's what he because he did uh was what was good boys which i did enjoy i liked good boys it was was a fine time for me the movies um and what i liked about this was he does that again but in this in this bottle that looks like a romantic comedy where you have this source of complete chaos and vulgarity in jennifer lawrence and this vessel of utter sweetness that is the kid in it uh and they're 
that's a really smart way to do that. Like he took his he took his average theme and he put it directly as text into this really not romantic comedy. It it hmm. feels like a romantic comedy, but it isn't. It's a it's a movie about a friendship. It's not about it's not a romantic comedy. Uh, and so that all really works. Like if everything plays off itself then. And it's I had a perfectly fine time at it. And again, I, it sounds like I'm saying it's fine. I don't mean for that to sound dismissive. But yes, it's a pleasant three-star review from this professional critic. It's good. I liked it. I, uh, If you are at all interested, absolutely see it. I, I thought about going to see it just to support comedies in theaters because I miss going to the theater and laughing with people. That... Uh, there are no like we're starting to get some more comedies, and I'm I, I know no hard feelings did okay. Joyride did not. Um, so all eyes are on you, Will Ferrell and Strays. But uh, I love that trailer. I I, love I do, that the trailer. Red Band one. I hate dogs. I love that trailer. <laughs> I will see that movie. The the in Red the Band theater. trailer for that makes me laugh so good. quite hard. Yes. I, that was a Red Band trailer that's okay. First of all, if you're listening, just pause. Go watch the Red Band trailer of Strays. <laughs> now come back. I saw that in the theater. I had no idea this movie was happening. The trailer starts, and it, I see it's a Red Band trailer, so I'm interested. And then there's Will Ferrell as the voice of a very happy dog running through the running through the grass. I'm like, nope. And, and then Will Forte swears at the dog, and I'm very interested. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And and then there's a turn at the halfway point of the trailer <laughs> where you realize the stakes yes. and what the mission is. And like, I'm all in. I will go yep. see this movie. I will see this movie wherever you want me to see it, whenever you want me to see it. I'm there for this. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping that is good. I I, I enjoyed that trailer quite a bit. Uh speaking of things that are not quite maybe not quite so highbrow as uh will ferrell's a dog on a very important mission um (laughs) but still animal related we're gonna talk the bear um which just completed its second season on hulu uh we have seen all the episodes i feel like the best way to talk about this is going to be spoilers um because there are things i'm gonna want to talk about um it was your idea to do a episode on this um i was so glad when you asked because i i love this show but i'm curious did you watch this last year or was this new to you no i watched the first season i watched it um not too long ago i want to say i watched it maybe in like january okay like i knew it was supposed to be very good um and i i had wanted to get to it and uh I can't remember how we did this. I can't remember if I watched the first one and then told my wife, you're going to want to watch this too, or if we watched it together. Cause I remember seeing the first one, like at least twice, <laughs> the okay. very first episode of the first season. Uh, Cause that's about as good a pilot I've seen in a long time. That's really good. It's a mm-hmm. really good first episode. Uh, and then, yeah, we burned through season one and I think I may have watched all of it a second time. Okay. It's, it is. And then the second season, just simply capitalized on all of its strengths. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's, it's an achievement. So for the uninitiated, I don't know why you're listening to this, but uh, you know, to if learn, you haven't, Chris, to yeah, learn. Okay. Yes. Uh, if you haven't <laughs> seen the bear, it is about Carmi. He is a skilled chef who has worked at the best restaurant in New York. He comes home after his brother's death to run the family sandwich shop in Chicago. Um, and from there, he is dedicated to making 
it better. He is dedicated to excellence, even if that kills him. Um, the second season's a little bit different, which we'll get into. I will say, I watched the first season last summer as it aired, and I was in the middle. <laughs> I was in the middle of a very stressful job at that point, where yes, I would, I, I would have about twelve hours of work. I would have panic attacks because there was so much work. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating. And so my reward for the end of the day was to watch The Bear, which the first season of that show, every episode is like a full-fledged panic attack. Uh, (laughs) Especially there is one episode in the middle of the season that is a one-shot episode. It's it's actually not the middle. It's the next to last episode of the season. Okay. And it's episode it, nine. It is the most stressful thing I have ever yeah. seen. <laughs> yes. And it's fantastic. Like I was still riveted. And uh, I, I love that first season. It was one of my favorite things last year. Um, I think it helped that there were a few episodes that kind of leavened the intensity, but there's that um, birthday party episode that is so good. Uh, <laughs> so funny. Um <laughs> And yeah, it's just a really, really great episode about people working in this Chicago restaurant. Um, And the second season builds on that from being, hey, we're in a sandwich shop to the the last episode of the first season is them closing it down. And they're going to reinvent it as a fine dining establishment. And season two is all about the journey to opening day. And uh, yeah, Perry, what did you think about season two of The Bear? Uh, It's... It is so good that I want people to watch season one first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, don't jump in on season two. Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of groundwork is laid that you that you want to have going into this. It's like talking about it's you know it's it's like picking your favorite in the before trilogy. See the others first. Yeah, you you need you, not that you need it, but you're you're just ripping yourself off if you don't. Uh, season two is brilliant because un. Uh, Unlike the first season, which, as you said, is a series of anxiety attacks leading to a 25-minute anxiety attack mm-hmm. <laughs> that is so brilliant because it, um, uh, 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 someone I work with who is not uh, a, a film person like we are said something that was utterly brilliant to me. And she said, I love this show because it addresses trauma without triggering and I don't know how they do that. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's, that's exactly good. right. I yes, I've watched Anxiety Attack, and I never felt anxious. I, oh, I, I did. I, I, I confess, did. I will confess, I am not prone to anxiety attacks. Okay, so okay. I will confess that's part of that. But but not like the goal isn't to have you feel it. It doesn't have oh, having just finally caught up with the whale, a Darren Aronofsky feel to it. It's not trying to torture you. No. It is it is meant to be an empathetic experience of what the character is experiencing. Mm-hmm. That's what they want you to feel. Uh, that perfect, you know, veil of fiction that lets you go there safely. Um, and that's what this does throughout. And instead of giving you a series of anxiety attacks, it gives you one real big one in the middle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but what I loved um, about season two is the constant reminder of time. It is about time. And about how you spend time, uh, not only how you spend it, but what you think about and concentrate on with your time. Uh, clocks are throughout the whole season. It's not one episode. Would it you say that every second thing. counts? Every second counts. <laughs> That's just one of the many ways in which time 
matters throughout this whole season. Uh, and I love that it, the, the creators are thinking both over thinking about giant season arcs and also mm-hmm. fantastic episode arcs. That's, that's one thing I really appreciated about this is it is, there's a long serialized element. You are following episode by episode weeks until the opening of this restaurant, but it is a show that remembers TV's episodic. Not everything is a 10 hour movie, right? And every yeah. episode has its own arc. The episodes have their own feel, like some of them have opening credits, some don't. And and I appreciated it. I kind of wish it had been released every week uh, instead of all at once. Um, that's kind of how I watched it was I, I would watch one or two at a time and then I would wait a few days because I just wanted to savor it. But it really is one of the best episodic shows in terms of every episode has a different focus. Sometimes it's just on one character. In fact, yep. I think the best episode of the season, two of the best episodes of the season, our focus is just on one side character, uh, different side characters. And I really like that. The thing that hit me this year, this season, uh, which slows down a bit from last year, uh, it's not quite as intense. Like you said, there's that big panic attack in the middle and I think a more controlled panic attack at the very end of the season. That's yeah. I want to talk about this Um, later. Yeah. We're going to get to this. But the thing I realized is, oh, it went from this first season where everyone is kind of at each other's throats the whole time because no one knows what they want, what they're, you know, what they're supposed to do, what the ultimate goal is. And this season, even though there's still those moments of conflict, everyone is making each other better. And I realized about halfway through, oh, this is the realistic version of what Ted Lasso was trying to do. Uh, and I like, I don't know if you watch Ted Lasso at all. I have not yet. Okay. I will eventually. I know it, I will, but I have not. I've, I've watched the first two seasons. It's fine. And it, it really is a show that at its best is about people making each other better and you know encouraging each other and pushing them to be better. But sometimes it's a little too much into uh, corniness, I guess would be the best way to say it. Um, And the bear has its foot in reality the whole time. It feels real because these are very flawed characters. Everyone has their own insecurities and traumas they're unpacking. And they're trying to do this beautiful, great thing. It really, it's like a let's put on a show season, right? It is everyone trying to build up to this thing to make excellence. And it shows you, I I realized this when I ended the season, I wrote about it on Facebook. I'm like, this is a show that shows you the joy and the cost of of really caring about something. And I kept thinking back to Pig, the uh, the Nicolas Cage movie. <laughs> and there's uh-huh. that there's that great scene. We don't get a lot of things to really care about. And this is about people who care about something and are finding the thing to care about. And it's such a joy to watch it. Like I I <laughs> I can't remember if a show has ever moved me this much like i was in tears at several points this season and not always because things were sad in fact most often not because things were sad but goodness um the actress who plays tina uh it is so fantastic yeah. in several moments with just small reactions to people showing her kindness that yeah oh there, there's a there's a that moment where sydney asks her to be her sous chef yes it's wonderful and I, I was just, I was like, I could feel tears because I'm like, that is just a purely good, happy moment. Um, yeah, it's so good. So, so good. 
So uh, now I want to follow up on this. And now, yes, now I will give the classic spoiler warning. If you if you have not watched season two, pause, go watch all of season two <laughs> and then come back and pick this back up. So um, I am interested, since that is your feeling towards this, I want to talk about the end of season two. Sure. Uh, the last episode specifically. I agree. This is all about making everybody better. Absolutely. But boy, our two lead characters aren't getting any better <laughs> by the end of this at all. And so I'm curious uh, for something that you say leaves you so happy. Where does that, how, how, how are you reading those scenes? Are you agreeing? Do you agree with that? And are you just, it doesn't really get, you're okay with it. You realize you're accepting that's the price or you're waiting to see the other shoe fall. If I may use the terminology of a show. We're not counting shoes, Perry. Uh, <laughs> no, I, you oh, know what? He is, but it, Carmi is. Yes. It, it is one of those things where I think if it was a season finale or series finale, I mean, I would, might feel differently. I, I don't like the idea that every season might end with Carmi being his own worst enemy. Um, that said, he is his own worst enemy and he's better yeah. this season, but he's not there yet. I read an interview with uh, Jeremy Allen White is the actor. Yeah. Um, and he was, they were, they were bringing up how Carmi isn't really a mentor. He sends people right. off to be mentored. And he's like, yeah, I don't think he's in that place yet to be a mentor. And so I read that the, you know, he, he reaches that breakdown at the end of the season, which is really not even so much because things are going wrong because they, they, they end up the, the restaurant succeeds that night. They get the orders done, but it's his loss of control. It's him not being a part of it. It's him not being able to manage everything and then shooting himself in the foot with, uh, with Claire. Um, and it's Richie. And Richie, oh God, that that argument was so that that bothered me. Just the thing. Yeah, good. Okay, like, I needed yes. something to bother yes. you about this. That's, that's episode. Yes. No. <laughs> okay. No. It was a good. good episode, and if I was happy, it was because no, it was this show this show makes me happy to see characters who I care about this much. I was bothered by that that argument because Richie, especially who was the villain, basically of last season. He gets a he gets a redemption episode this season that is maybe the most effective redemption I've seen in a long time. He's, it's my favorite episode of the season. Oh, Even counting the fancy party, I'll take I'll take that episode every time. Same That's here. Brilliant. It's it's so good, and I I kept waiting for Carmi to because everything was going uh, working out a little too much for Carmi. So I'm like, okay, I know we're not supposed to be counting sh uh, shoes, but the shoe is going to fall for him. I mean, this isn't the final season. Um, but when Richie was given right back at him, I'm like, no, you made so much progress. Um, and I think that feels honest. Like, yes. like I liked that because I think I would have been upset. It would have felt false for it to be this show and end on the finale where everything goes right. Right. Because that's not the show. And these are characters who still have a lot of baggage to unpack. And they, they've done okay on their own, but in conflict with each other, they haven't done great and they're going to have to work through that. And so I was, I was okay with them bringing them to that point, even as it hurt me to watch that. Cause I'm like, okay, Good. next season, there's still stuff to unpack. These, 
these characters haven't turned a corner. Um, and right. Oh yeah. It, it was good. I, I liked the ending because it didn't just leave it in victory. It reminded you it, like, you can't have the show and have them not be flawed. That's not the show. Right. And they yeah. will not. Yes. This is not about making a successful restaurant. <laughs> this is about yeah. these people. Like it doesn't matter. Well, and it's about it's not a, yeah. It, it's about, so Ted Lasso, the whole thing is you focus on football. You focus on the thing you love. Everything else in life is going to fall into place. The bear is about you focus on this thing you love. It might destroy everything else in your life. Uh, yes. How much do you love this to, to let it be the thing as another character says, like, yes, that, that is powerful to me. I, I will admit I am like Carmi in the fact that when I find something I enjoy, I dig into it to the point where it probably hurts other things in my life, or it's a deflection <laughs> from other things that I should be dealing with. Uh, so I find that character really like I I'm invested in him because I'm like, you gotta be okay, man. Um, yeah, I God, <laughs> so good. Um, but Richie, I mean, just gosh, that performance, this whole, like the whole arc of him feeling like he doesn't have a place early on is so heartbreaking. Like when he brings it up early. But, yeah. Um, but then that, episode of the season, yeah. that great forks episode, which shouldn't work. Like that is such a fast turnaround for that character. That is one episode where we get to watch him basically flip. And it shouldn't work. Yeah. But it does work really well. Well, because you've seen him, you've seen him, they do a beautiful job of doing, this sounds like an insult and it's not. They do a beautiful job of laying down the minimal amount of work so that you mm -hmm. understand, he understands that he can't behave this way. Like yeah. he understands that this is hurting him to be the way he's been. But he is, by the beginning of the season, beginning of the second season at least savvy enough to understand i need to know my place and that really is an apology for that's an explanation for all of season one mm -hmm. like he comes out and says that was the whole point of his character in season one he doesn't know what his job is if carmy comes in and can do all these things that he has no idea what to do yeah. and so to articulate that and to make that i i i i i, I understand what you're saying and I still disagree with it. <laughs> I understand why you would have that react, why anybody would have that reaction. Mm -hmm. But I do think they've actually laid the groundwork for you to buy. He's going to get to a point where he is, he will accept this lesson that is being taught to him. Because he does, even through all the fighting, and again, they, they, do it, they do it in the very first episode of the very first season. They've established he has mad respect for Carmi. Like, like he'll have that fight because that's who he is. But he understands that Carmi can do things he can't do. And wants to get to a point where yeah. he might be able to do that too, which is great. It's we talk. I, I talked about small moments that like brought the tears. The moment where he brings the pizza to the people, yeah. and you realize it's clicked into place, and he's loving this. Yeah, like like I was like that is powerful. Or him just driving through singing Taylor Swift. It is yeah. so good. Like yeah, gosh. Uh, and then you know just. The cherry on top is you have Olivia Coleman come in and waltz away with a whole scene. A season of amazing cameos. <laughs> I, you know what? And that was the most amazing. <laughs> Talk about things that shouldn't work. All of those yeah. cameos in episode yes. six, the Christmas episode, they should not work. Like, I remember as soon as they were parading, like Bob Odenkirk, John Mulaney, Sarah Paulson. 
Jaylee, well, I'm like, I'm like, is this going to overwhelm the show? This this seems weird, but it's so canny because these are figures who live so big in Carmi's life that you need these actors to have that shorthand that tells you, oh, I know who this guy is. I know who this guy is. And they don't dominate. They're they're just they're fantastically cast. And not only that, all of those people, I believe, are big Chicago people. Mm. They came up in Chicago. Okay. I, Paulson's the only one I'm not sure on on that. But the other three all did. They're all yeah. Chicago uh, bred, <laughs> if not born. <laughs> they all they all made their bones as performers in Chicago. And so that's I think it's also a point of pride. <laughs> for the show i think that's that's part of the reason for it why it's why it both is and isn't stunt casting yeah which is why olivia coleman is such a wonderful counterpoint in that way also it's like oh here's someone who is not of this world at all yep you you instantly buy she is the best chef because she's olivia coleman she's the best right so right and that richie would hear her yep she she she, did someone who he does not have that Mm -hmm. chicago-ness with it makes it all the more wonderful. And why it's yes, it's such a good episode. It's I think I messaged I messaged you once I watched the Christmas episode because I was like, I can't envision the show being better than this episode. And then it does it in the very next episode. Which I, I was did like, I tell you the? that? You were the second person said. to tell me that. So you did. Okay. <laughs> and, and I had someone else tell me that. And I'm like, okay, okay they're setting this one up pretty big. And hold on. It, hold on. Yeah. Hold my beer. Hold my beef sandwich. It gets even better. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the Christmas episode is the one that feels most like the feeling I got in season one because it is yes. just, I mean, it, it's nerve wracking. Um, but everyone is just so damn good. Uh, like John Barenthal, who, you know, he got what? One scene last season. So good. I, I don't get that guy. I don't understand why I'm a stunned that he has the career he has and not that I think he's a bad actor. I'm like, I don't, no one has more just looked like a mook and managed to figure <laughs> out different things to play. It's I all a mad respect, mad respect it, for John Durnival. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I really like that episode. I, I think what's really canny too is looking at the structure of the season and realizing that flashback episode comes at the perfect place too. like just, the placement of that episode as it comes right after Carmi and Claire are kind of figuring out where they're at. So then you have this episode that sets up this, you know, infatuation he's had with her, but the pressure he feels about that, but it also sets up Richie and his relationship with his ex-wife so that you go into the next episode, you're already primed to be sympathetic towards him. And yeah. And Oliver Platt, like just, God, the show is everyone is just so damn great in this. Look, Oliver Platt is one of those people who I'm like, I don't care. Yep. I, I will watch Oliver Platt do Same. Oliver Platt's a brilliant actor. I was so thrilled when he showed up in the first season. I'm like, this show knows what it's doing if you're casting Oliver Platt. Speaking about Oliver Platt, major part in uh Please Give, by the way, to oh, really? the okay. first half of the show. Yes, major part in, in Nicole Hall of Center's Please Give. And by the way, Richie is in uh No Hard Feelings. So oh, really? another okay. reason for you to check this out, Richie, very funny in his couple of scenes in No Hard Feelings. Uh, yeah, yeah, really good. Like, I don't, I've heard some people say they thought Jamie Lee Curtis was uh, miscast, and I don't get that um, because I thought she was fantastic. Uh, and I, I, I kept bracing for them 
to bring her back in the last episode to make a giant scene. And I thought the way they used her in that final episode was so much more effective um, because it let you see that side of Natalie's husband, who is a very minor character, but he has that great scene in the, you know, sitting in the restaurant with her. Um, yes. Just everyone in the show is so good. Um, yeah. I, I don't know what else on the episode on the show. What I thought about during especially the Christmas episode, the party episode that we're talking about, were um, a, a, a particular director, Trey Edward Schultz. Oh, Krisha. Two movies that I hated. I hated Krisha most especially, but also I didn't, I didn't like Waves at all either, his follow-up. Um, and I think The Bear does so right what those two movies do so wrong. Uh, it's like I was talking about earlier. They are about trauma. They are about ex- they are about living through trauma, but they do it without triggering or making you wallow in it. The characters are just in it, and you are given, like I was talking before, that thin veil of fiction that makes it safe for you to go there. It's okay. <laughs> it's fiction. It's really well-realized, beautiful fiction that is exquisitely acted. And so, like, that that episode does everything in 50 minutes. Okay, probably 60. That that, 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 that movie, his first movie, was trying to do and just flailing and rubbing your nose in it constantly. Uh, it, it, it had a humanity at the core of it. It wasn't about the trauma. It was about how these people experienced this trauma and mm-hmm. it gave us a base for what how what they are working through throughout yeah. the rest of the show which is brilliant it's just brilliant <laughs> i actually I love, love this show chris i love this show and you do too i actually thought of Krisha during that episode i that's a movie i i remember enjoying i think i like that more than you do oh uh, but it, it is <laughs> it i did think i'm like oh this is Krisha without having to uh scream in your face for an hour and a half because that movie is very 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 heightened um and i re- i remember liking it it was a screener i watched uh like alongside five others and i liked it oh. uh, he i did see his second movie though i remember thinking trey for trey edward schultz should do a horror movie next and he did a horror movie next called it comes at night and it is awful oh I see it, it yeah it's bad um uh, i believe it I believe yeah it. No, I, I, and as particularly though with Jamie Lee Curtis, that made me think of Kresha because it's a much more grounded performance than you get. Yes. And she feels real. She feels real in the fact that they don't just make her her trauma either, right? She's likable. She's, she's funny and charismatic to a point. But as soon as you see her swigging down all those drinks, you know where this is going. Right. She's not a monster. Yeah. She's a person. She's a person who obviously had, and you know, and just seeing, you know, <laughs> for for all of for all of we're talking about, you know, how how amazingly written it is, and how beautifully character studied it is, and how intricate it is. It still comes down to that's where you know that's where Carmi's going to revert to whenever mm-hmm. he's got a situation like this. It's you know he he obviously in part became a chef because he thought he wants to learn how to control this environment that was uncontrollable mm-hmm. and he has not learned how to yet and he's going to learn he can't i would assume if the show's as good as we think it is <laughs> and hopefully he will realize that 
the people in his life are more important than this restaurant or whatever restaurant it is he feels he needs to create. And it's why I do, why we have, uh, th- why, you know, we haven't talked a lot about, I'm blanking the character's name, <laughs> his right-hand girl. Oh, Sydney. His right-hand woman. Sydney, Sydney is, yeah. you know, for me, Sydney is like the weirdest character on the show. She's the one I have the hardest time with because I other than her desire to be successful at this and her seeming self-sabotage that she thinks she's not good enough to do it, there's nothing else on her yet to me. And I don't I don't mind it. I like the character a great deal. I like the performance. I like the character. But it is the character that feels the least developed, weirdly, to me for it being, I think, the second most important character on the show. It certainly feels like the second most I, I would agree that she is. Yeah. Airtime. I don't know what I'm waiting to see what her arc is going to be. And that's why I'm kind of one of the many reasons I'm excited for season three. It's not a complaint. It's just something I know. I'm like, she's not like that episode where she's skipping around Chicago eating everything. Is, oh my gosh, I love that. It's fun to watch. It's it's you know, it's mm. food porn at its best. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, but I, I don't I I don't get the same level off that that I do off everybody else in the show, and I'm curious why that why I'm having that reaction, uh, and why the show is there. And I'm saying it's not a fault. I don't dislike it, but I'm curious to see where this goes. I, and it is it is part of what you said really well that you know Carmi's not a mentor, and she's the one he is mentoring. Yeah. And so where does that leave her? As this, this, These are all really great questions. And why I can't wait for season three. Well, and, and I love her relationship with him. The, just the frustration she'll have, but also how they'll have those moments of connection. And it really, it plays like a very platonic love story. And I, I yes. enjoy watching them. But I also, you get to the end of the season where she has that scene opposite Robert Townsend, another great cameo, um, <laughs> where, you know, she's made it through the night. She's had her trigger come back because that ticket machine is still messing with her mind from way back in season one. Um, and she gets through the night, she throws up. She's obviously, you know, rattled by this, but you know, she's going to go back. And there's a part of me going, no, you just need to quit. Like, like, yeah. you're, like you're really good at this, but it is going to destroy you. And you're not paying attention to how this is ruining Carmi's life. Uh, like, like, don't do this oh. or hopefully find a healthier way to do this. Oh, interesting. See, I did. Yeah, I, I would, I did not draw that. And I don't, I, I, I totally get it. I accept that. I don't, I don't agree with it, but I accept that. Cause for me, that's where Carmi is. Carmi needs to accept that he's, he can't do this like this. He's yeah. going to have to make some profound change in order to do everything he wants to do or really come to terms with the fact that he's not going to fix the things he needs to fix. Yeah. To be able to do this the way he wants to do it, which is all fascinating. What's funny is I remember having an issue throughout the season that I thought the Claire character was very underwritten. I don't know who she is except Carmi likes her, right? But right. the way she really draws Carmi out of his shell and you see him be happy, like you see the effect she has on him. That's all we need her for at this point is to see the effect she has on him to the point that when he sabotages everything, I was so mad at 
at him. Like I was so <laughs> infuriated with the lead character of this show in that final episode. Cause I'm like, you were doing so well. Uh, <laughs> like it's weird to be that invested, especially in TV, which the typical thing in TV is you all, your characters don't change, right? You, you revert because that keeps the show going. And I'm like, no, don't revert. You're getting better. Keep getting better. And I, I was so mad. I am so disappointed in Richie, though. <laughs> I will tell you. Oh, no, I think Richie's motivated. I, I, I see. I have no problem with Richie in that scene. I, I think Richie's in the right in that scene. Like he's the, what else? How, how else That's is he true. going to react to that? No, Richie's just done everything he was supposed to do and done it beautifully. I'm like, how dare he be yelled at at that point? Richie's right. For the first time ever, Richie's right to go off on him. It's not from a place of defensiveness. It's from a place of insult. He's hurt because he's not being recognized for doing such a fantastic job. Uh, and I don't think it's even that. I think he's like – I think for the first time it comes from a place of, of personal pride. Not that it's great. I'm not <laughs> defending the behavior. But it comes from a place of pride, not from fear out of Richie, which is why it hits. It's why it hurts. It's why Carmi loses that argument. It's why Carmi can't talk. It, Richie you might wins be right. that fight. Um, I will, and I will say this about Claire. I, I agree. The character is arguably underwritten, but I think what the, what they do very right. There's two things they do really right. One of the one the writing is remember her job, ER nurse, right? right? Yeah. So there is someone who is in a position that is arguably more stressful. Yes. Who is capable of having an actual personal life? Which is why it's important that we have all the family stuff because we realize it's the family stuff that's messing Carmi up. It's mm-hmm. not this desire to have this restaurant, to have this great skill. He can't function with people because <laughs> yeah. he doesn't have that skill yet. I will also, just as a gigantic REM fan who has had <laughs> strange currencies as the ringtone when his wife calls ever since he's had a cell phone, <laughs> oh, oh, to hear that song, I think three times. <laughs> Over the course of the season, including my very favorite line in the song, which is now with love comes strange currencies, which is poetry as far as I'm concerned. That's a beautiful <laughs> statement and literally is what my phone sings to me whenever my wife calls me. That's <laughs> a fabulous, fabulous. Loved it. I uh, loved it. If you want to talk about something else that shouldn't work because it is the sp- the moment you see in every sports movie where the hero steps up to the, you know, the underdog steps up to the bat and wins the day for the scene where Richie takes control in the kitchen. Yeah. I, I feel like there is a way to butcher that and make it really ham fisted, but man, I was pumping my fist. I was like, yeah, you go Richie. Right. Like, Oh, um, but then like the show can do these big stressful shows but that episode in Denmark is one of my favorite too. Oh, um, I, I really like Will Poulter. Um, I've liked him all the way back since Son of Rambo, which is a very underrated little movie. I like that movie yes, quite a is. bit. Um, but I, I just I love the quiet and the meticulousness of that. Uh, the attention to detail, the food porn in that is so good too. Yes, um, yeah. And and just the way they don't overplay Marcus's issue at home with his mom. But then bring yep. it into the finale at just the right moment where we know more than he does. And we know next season it's going to be hard for him. Yeah. Like, so, so well played. I want to go to Chicago now. Uh-huh. I remember oh, I, I watched the first season, like, city. 
the I watched the first season like two weeks after I had been in Chicago and I'd eaten at a really like fancy restaurant in Chicago. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I want to go back. Yeah, but did you get a Chicago beef somewhere while you were there? You no, Chicago but uh, no, but we oh. are opening a uh, they are opening a Portillo's a mile away from me. So are they really? Yeah, they are in oh. Livonia. Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, I we open end happy. of the year. Yeah. All right. So I don't know if you realize this, but you just gave a, an amazing Easter egg to one of our longtime listeners. Oh, really? Hi, Chris. <laughs> Chris is going to be very happy to hear that there's a Portillo's opening, and he's going to be very mad. I didn't know this and tell him. <laughs> it's been supposed to open for a year, but I did just hear they just extended the project. So it'll open, I think, end of the year in Livonia. So uh, so come on down. We'll record and we'll get a beef sandwich. I'm going to get a text the second Chris hears this. <laughs> I look for I've never had a Portillo's. I'm uh, very much looking forward to it. It's great. <laughs> it's just great. That was that might have been my one regret this season is there were so many good looking beef sandwiches last season. And you get good fancy food, but I'm like, oh, I really wanted to see those uh, beef sandwiches again. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, do we have anything else to say on the bear other than no. go watch the bear? I'm- I'm ready to go eat a chocolate covered banana. Let's go. <laughs> I'm uh, I, I'm really seriously considering telling my wife to watch it and I will watch it with her because I would, I would easily watch this again. This is, I think one of my favorite shows ever. I just, yeah. it involved me more than I'm, I thought it would. I'm with you. I would watch both seasons again without, without question. So, all right. Well, that is the bear. It is streaming on Hulu. Watch it. Tell us your thoughts. Um, I think we're going to try and come back in a few weeks and maybe do, maybe do some Barbie Heimer. I, I don't know. I, I think I, we should do some Barbie Heimer. Yeah. I think Barbie Heimer is a, a likelihood. Yes. I think that will be interesting. So we'll be back in a few weeks with that. In the meantime, Perry, where can people find you? You can find me on Facebook. You can hear me on the Lucy Ann Lance show on WLBY in Ann Arbor every Friday morning. You can catch me sometimes on the cathode ray mission. Uh, it's not really a podcast. It's a live radio show, but it's a podcast. You can find it and listen to the old shows live, uh, which I do fairly often. And apparently you're going to find me somewhere where Barbie and Oppenheimer are playing very, very soon. You can find me on Twitter and Facebook and threads at various different handles because I didn't think this through. So I know I meant mere Christianity on Twitter, and I believe it's criticisms on Facebook and threads. You know what? If you're just on threads, it'll randomly show up because that's just how threads works. And um, I'm not loving that. Um, But more importantly, I would just tell you to find me on my Substack, criticisms.substack.com. I post a few times every week. You can read right now. I am going through a series about the films from summer 1993. And I just tackled uh, The Firm and In the Line of Fire, two movies I really enjoyed. And soon I'll be writing about Free Willy and Coneheads, which are movies I also saw. And, uh, <laughs> and but I should also have some thoughts by the time this comes out. And maybe you're listening to this over at Criticisms because this post there as well. Uh, I should also have thoughts about Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part One, because this summer is apparently Part One. Um, exactly. Yes. So 2023, so yeah. the year of Part One. Yes. And find my reviews of new releases also over at Cinema Nerds with a Z. I'll actually have a review of Oppenheimer there next week. So in the meantime, uh, as you wait for Barbieheimer, um, watch The Bear, and we'll see you in a few weeks. Don't get caught in the freezer.